Can we turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, please? How does this work here? Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. We're going to continue our series on the... Does anybody know what our series is on? Huh? Sermon on the Mount. There we go. Thank you. Got to set up my technology here. Uh Uh-oh. We were talking about technology this morning at the Lord's Supper where, um, you know, if, uh, you know, like we have this, um, you know, how does God keep track of everything, right? He must be a big computer, can keep track of everything, that kind of thing. So, So here we're... We'll continue the technology theme here this morning. So uh, let's uh, open our Bibles again, as I said, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. I'll just read our passage. Um, Jesus, this is Jesus speaking, of course, the Sermon on the Mount. It's, if you have the red Bible where Jesus' words are, are in red, uh, pretty much this whole chapter is in red. So do not think, Jesus says, do not think that I came to destroy the law, the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or tittle will by by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by, by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank, thankful again that we can be together. Please bless uh, your word as it goes forth and um, help us to apply it to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so uh, in, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches many practical things, right? You're, most of you are probably familiar with the Sermon on the Mount. You've read it a few times, maybe a few dozen times, and you've heard uh, speaking, teaching on it before, and you know that uh, there's a lot of practical teaching there about you know, anger and adultery, marriage, going the second mile, loving your enemies, doing your charitable deeds in secret, how to pray, how to fast, and uh, not worrying. And, and there's other things, and we'll be covering uh, many of those things over the next uh, four or five weeks. But, but this is an interesting uh, part of the um, Sermon on the Mount because it's really a... Uh, a short passage that is more of an explanation of Jesus' mission, right? He's not really teaching a practical thing here other than this is why, this is what I came for. Um, so what does he say? He says, Jesus uh, states here that he did not come to destroy the law or the fr- prophets, but to fulfill them. So the law and the prophets, it's not a familiar term to us. We don't, in a sense, I mean, we know it's in the Bible, we've read it in there, but it's not something we say a lot. So what does that mean? So let's uh, review a little terminology here, just kind of a, uh, for a basis. Um, the Law and the Prophets, when Jesus said the Law and the Prophets, he would be referring to what we now call the Old Testament, right? It's, it's that part of our Bibles before Matthew from Gen- Genesis to Malachi. And so during this time period of the New Testament, you know, when Jesus was here, and for the first few hundred years of the church, the terminology Old Testament or New Testament or for that matter, the term Bible, was not really used uh, to refer to a, a book of sacred writings. 
Uh, they basically had the law and the prophets, or sometimes they called it the law of Moses, or maybe they said the prophets and the prophet Isaiah. Like if you read, uh, if you read Matthew, uh, the earlier chapters, and, Jesus, and he's writing about the coming of Jesus into the world, the birth of the, the Messiah into the world. Well, he quotes a lot of uh, Old Testament scriptures, and he says the prophet Isaiah said, or the prophet so-and-so said, right? So that's how they spoke. And of course, during this time after Jesus died and rose again, and the, the apostles were spreading the word, of course, they were writing down things that were known, you know, God's word, and it was, became scripture, and their close associates were doing the same, uh, but those weren't brought together in this book here called the Bible. So think of, it's interesting to think that in, in the time of the early church, they didn't say the Bible says, right? We say the Bible says, or it means God's word and the scriptures, but they didn't really use that terminology. So it's a matter of terminology. Um, so another thing too, as far as terminology goes, um, we sometimes use the word covenant and testament interchangeably, right? So we, we're very familiar with saying the New Testament or the Old Testament. Sometimes we say the New Covenant or the Old Covenant. And uh, just know that those terms are interchangeable and they refer to a contract or an agreement. So we could say it's the New Agreement and then the Old Agreement, right? It kind of makes it us think a little bit because we're so familiar with those terms, testament. So anyway, just a little little terminology to make sure we're on the same page and for some of you who for helpful, hopefully that's helpful to some of you who might not be familiar with some of these things. So anyway, so why did Jesus feel the need to say uh, that he, again, that he came not to destroy the law but to fulfill it, right? Well, because if you were in the crowd listening to what he was about to say, um, you might think that that, exactly, that was exactly what Jesus was coming to do, right? Because you know that he says over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll be covering that in the, in the future weeks, he's, Jesus quite often says, you have heard it said, but I say, right? So if you turn in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, oops, got ahead of myself there. I'm, I need a bigger pulpit. Um, he says, you have heard it said that it was, to the, that it was uh, said to those of old, you should not murder. And then verse 22, but I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. And he says this over and over again. So, you know, one would get the impression that maybe he, he has come to, um, to destroy, destroy the law and the prophets. And even, you know, over the years of, as I've read the Bible, all right, you, you read the Sermon on the Mount, you have those same kind of thoughts, especially we know that Jesus was kind of... You know, butting heads, I'll say it for, uh, probably is a better term, but I'll say it that way. Butting heads with uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees over, over you know, healing on the Sabbath. And we know that his um, disciples would, he, he, he was criticized for allowing his disciples to break the heads off of the grain and, and rub it together for some food on the Sabbath day. And so, yeah, Jesus, maybe you did come to destroy the law and the prophets. Explain that a little bit, because I, I need some explanation, too. So, so uh, Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount there, he is creating a contrast between the law and the prophets as interpreted by the Pharisees as inscribes and his own commands. So anyway, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount was that God sees the heart, right? It's not just the outward appearance that God is concerned about. Concerned about. Now, the Old Testament never says that God didn't see the heart. It's just the way the Pharisees interpreted it. And it was more of a legalistic system, so I could see how they might interpret it that way. 
Um, so the Pharisees' interpretation of law was that you just need to be clean on the outside. The inside was not important. So if you didn't murder or you didn't commit adultery, you were fine. It didn't matter if you hated people or gossiped about people or lusted after a woman. It didn't matter. But it does matter to God, and Jesus is teaching them that God's standards are higher than the Pharisees. And this is the reason he says in verse 20 that, uh, for I tell you that the, unless the, your unrighteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, in looking at this passage, keep in mind that Jesus is not, does not disrespect the law. So when he's saying, I didn't come to destroy the law, so he's explaining to them now, um, you know, he's not disrespecting the law, or he's saying that it was inaccurate or wrong, right? See, he goes out of his way to promote the authority of the law, and that he says not one jot or tittle will pass away until all is fulfilled. And Jesus continues by saying who any, anyone who breaks the laws and teaches other people to do so will have a lesser status in God's eyes, and whoever does them and teaches others to do so will be great in God, God's eyes. So Jesus uh, so we've established that Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, right? He makes that point clear. He, he says, I didn't come to destroy, and he talks about how important it is and that nothing of the law is going to pass away without being fulfilled. So let's consider what Jesus said he would do, right? What, again, going back to that point of his mission, why is he here? Uh, so he said he came to fulfill the law. What does that mean? So first of all, how did he fulfill the law? Well, he came, when he came, he fulfilled hundreds of prophecies found in the law about the Messiah. I already talked about that for a second. So he fulfilled the law in that way. Secondly, Jesus fulfilled the law in that he obeyed the law. He was the only one who lived a perfect, sinless life. Therefore, he fulfilled the requirements of the law in that way. In 1 Peter 2.22, we read that he committed no sin, nor was there any guile in his mouth. Now, another and most important, probably, way that Jesus fulfilled the law was that he died for our sins on the cross. He defeated death and created a way for sin sinners to enter into heaven and to be forgiven. See, under the Old Testament law, and the, uh, the law in the Old Testament, sinners could not enter into heaven. The law was always meant to be a temporary thing, right? It was only ever meant to be, as, the, as it says in Hebrews 10.1, a shadow of the good things to come. The table and the the tabernacle in the temple that the Jews used in those days, and they used it to make the animal sacrifices based on, um, to God, was based on the law and was made with hands, which were copies of the true things in heaven. We can read about that in Hebrews chapter 9. So, so, the, so the law was just meant to be a temporary thing, and Jesus came to fulfill it. So how, how did Jesus uh, fulfill the law? We talked about that, right? So... So we need to understand when we look at this passage and we see what Jesus' mission was, that he kind of came to, to not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And we have to understand that the Old Testament law had a built-in expiration date. It was meant to be fulfilled and replaced, and Jesus did just that when he came. He fulfilled the law so that not, not one jot or tittle went unfulfilled, and then he replaced it. Uh, he replaced it... Um, and, and then rendered the testimony between, I'm sorry, read that wrong. He fulfilled the law so that not one jot or tittle went unfulfilled and then rendered the Old Testament between God and the Jews obsolete. As we read in Hebrews 8.13, it says there, quote, in that he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. And now what is becoming obsolete is old, 
is growing old and is ready to vanish away. The Greek word translated fulfill here means to complete, to carry through, to accomplish, to bring to pass. So by using this term, Jesus was saying that he was bringing God's conditional temporary covenant with Israel to an end. This is what God intended when he originally instituted the old covenant. When God established the covenant with Israel, he set a timer and the time was running out. But the Old Testament wasn't just ending as in being canceled, uh, it was being fulfilled through Jesus as was intended. Kind of think of it like, uh, like uh, going, to, going to school, right? You, you, you go to college, say, and you fulfill all the requirements of the degree and you, and you get the degree, right? It's not that it's ended and it was somehow wrong or, or, or bad. You just, you're finished. You've fulfilled all the requirements and now you move on. And so it was time to move on. And interestingly enough, once Jesus fulfilled the law, it, it kind of began, began to disappear, right? After the re resurrection and the subsequent spreading of the gospel, uh, we see that the, gross, the growth of this new movement called the Way uh, would cause a great deal of tension in the nation of Israel, right? Uh, the, and the more they tried to stamp it out, the faster it grew. Uh, Jew Jews throughout the Roman Empire would turn away from the law to follow Jesus. So there was a lot of upheaval at this time as, and the whole debate over you know, keeping the law and not keeping the law, even among Christians at that time. Uh, then in 70 AD, what happened? The temple system of animal sacrifices came to an abrupt end. Wow, that was pretty amazing timing, wasn't it? And so in what is called the Jewish War or the Judean War, the Roman army brutally besieged uh, Jerusalem, killing hundreds of thousands and then also selling hundreds of thousands of Jews into slavery. In the process, the Romans destroyed the Roman temple, tearing it down, can you believe it, stone by stone. So the end of the temple sacrifices had come in a dramatic way. So the law was disappearing. So if the law has been fulfilled, what are we to do as Christians today with the sacred writings that we call the Old Testament? Keep in mind that we are referring to God's holy words. Well, first of all, we have to keep in mind that it's not our covenant. We have a new covenant, right? Thank God, right, for the new covenant in Jesus. Jesus died for our sins and rose again after three days. And if we trust in him for salvation and receive him as Savior, we will have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. What does the Bible say about that? It is a free gift. Thank God for the free gift of eternal life. Isn't it wonderful that it does not have to be earned by keeping a set of rules like the Jews in the Old Testament. So we should be very happy about living in these times when we have the New Testament, we know Jesus and we can receive him as our savior because as we know, we are sinners who are incapable of earning our way to heaven by doing good things like keeping the 10 commandments which are part of those Old Testament laws. You know, the problem today and you know down through the ages is that many, sincere, that many sincere people have is they cannot separate themselves from that idea of the Old Testament, right? They cannot separate themselves from the Ten Commandments and the Old Testament idea of rule following when it comes to trying to become a Christian or thinking about what it means to be a Christian. They want to keep the law and also adding to that the teachings of the New Testament to show God and others that they're good enough to earn their way to heaven. They keep kind of going back to that Old Testament way of rule following, the rule following way of doing things. And that's very sad. It's very, it's very frustrating, isn't it? To talk to someone and know that they're, they want to know God and they want to, you know, they, 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 think they're, they think they're saved, they think they're a Christian. Well, they don't really use the term saved so much, but, you know, 
they're, they're so close, but yet they're so far away, you know. Uh, it's, it's a sad thing, and it's so frustrating. It's, it's just, just, just believe and have faith, right, in God. Don't go back to that Old Testament rule-following way of doing things. You know, keep in mind the Old Testament, it, uh, the Old Testament is really a conditional covenant when we think about, you know, not so much all the pages here, but the Old Covenant that God had with Israel um, was really a conditional gov- covenant where God says, if you do something, which is keep my rules, then, then I will do something for you. I, I will bless you. What do you say? Make you a great nation, right? And those kind of things. Um, so people today kind of take that same concept and say, well, if I keep the Ten Commandments and, and believe in J- Jesus, then God will bless me by hopefully forgiving my sins and, and letting in, me into heaven when I die, hopefully. So, so don't go back to something that is, God says is now obsolete. Come to the New Testament. Come to Jesus. Don't trust in a way that God says is now obsolete. There's a few verses I have for you along those lines. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone who believes. And then also in Ephesians 2.15 uh, says that Jesus abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinance or expressed in rules. He abolished that. Uh, so don't go back to that system. When we become a Christian today, it's a transaction, right? It's a transaction that happens in a moment in time. Uh, I can remember my transaction. I, you know, it's kind of a funny word to use for it. But when I was saved, when I received the Lord as Savior, uh, it was January 4th, 1983, sometime after lunch. And, and I was in, in my parents' home, and I was there alone, and I received Christ as Savior. And at that moment in time, I was born again. Right? The Holy Spirit of God came into me. And that's what happens when you become a Christian, when you receive Christ as Savior, you become a new person. You're not just trying to reform yourself and be better than you were before or try to impress God or others. You're, you're just receiving Christ as Savior through faith, not any works of your own. It's a free gift. And um, you become a new person, which allows you to live for God, right? People sometimes say, well, you know, it sounds so easy, and you know, then you can do anything you want. Well, no, the Bible, that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Never, may it never be. And the point is, is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us now. We're a different person, so how can we live a, a life apart from God if we truly um, are born again? Of course, again, we struggle sometimes. We have our faults and our failings, but um, generally speaking. So... Now, once you are a Christian, and hopefully you all here are Christians, keep in mind that there is a law in the New Testament for us to follow, right? We don't really think about it too much or talk about it too much. Uh, The Bible doesn't really say a lot about it in in the sense of calling it a law, but the Bible does refer to a law of Christ, right? And you might recall in um, Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, that the Apostle uh, Paul teaches us there to bear one another's burdens and so thus fulfill the law of Christ, right? That's kind of a a term that we don't use that often. So what does that mean? Um, Really, New Testament doesn't really give a lot of explanation about it, but I think you could see there, bear one another burdens, right? It's kind of a caring for one another. It's that love thing, right? It's loving one another. And if you recall in Mark chapter 12, and it's recorded in the other Gospels too, we read that a scribe came to Jesus and asked Jesus, well, what, what's the greatest commandment of them all? Like, we have this whole law and the prophets back here. What's the greatest part of that thing? And what did Jesus say? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. So basically that's, I think we can agree that the law of Christ is just loving, one, loving God and loving one another. So in place of the Old Testament rule following, we can replace that with one rule, loving others, right? That's the law of Christ. And it's interesting, if you, I'm sure that many of you Bible scholars out there have read through and studied the book of Galatians. You know there's kind of a, the conflict there is that the Apostle Paul is trying to teach the Galatians that, you know, not to go back to the rule-following system that they came from, right? He was speaking to Jews who had become Christians. He said, don't go back to that old system. Stick with the, the new system here, the New Testament, of believing in Jesus and having faith in Christ. And so this is just my thought. Uh, so if you, if you don't agree with me, fine. I won't be offended, and doesn't mean we can't be friends. But um, when Paul says the, the law of Christ, I almost think it's like a play on words, right? Because for the whole book, he's arguing with them, don't follow the law. But at the end in chapter 6, he's saying, but if you want a law, here's a law for you. Love one another, right? So... Now, keep in mind, too, along this uh, concept of loving one another, uh, think about the Last Supper and the Jesus alone with his disciples in the upper room. And what is, he, what is one of the important things he says to, to them? Um, he says, I give you a new commandment. A new commandment I give to you. He told his disciples, what did he say? To love one another, right? As I have loved you, that you, mul- that you also love one another. So he's about to institute you know, the New Testament in his blood and institute the Lord's Supper in remembrance of him, and at the same time saying, forget all those old rules, right? Here's your new rule, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. And so, um, and please understand, too, what is love, right? We think about love today, you think about that romantic love or the love, that feeling, that kind of loving feeling towards someone, you know, hugging people and all that kind of stuff, and, and that's fine, uh, but Jesus is talking about the kind of love that puts good thoughts into good actions, right? It's a love that puts others first, and as it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, to bear one another's burdens. Think about, again, the Old Testament law and the New Testament principle here. The Old Testament was based on the principle of if you obey God and do what he says, he will do something for you. If you don't, do some, if you don't do, obey God, then he won't do something for you or he might even curse you. So the New Testament law here, the law of Christ, is based on the principle of putting others first out of concern for their well-being, right? You don't necessarily get anything in return, but it's just, it's just a way of life where being a loving person is what God wants you to be, and it brings you closer to him and helps you to accomplish what he wants for, uh, in this world. And keep in mind, too, the Bible says it is better to resist. Um, the New Testament book of Acts Says the, uh, it says there that it is better to give to, than to receive, right? So we always think it's better to receive. We could get something, right? But it is better to give than to receive. What a blessing it is to help others. So if you want to know what it means to be loving, Jesus said to use him as a benchmark. He's the benchmark. Remember what I, that verse I just read? He said to the disciples in the upper room, what did he say? As I, loved, as I have loved you, so love one another. So he's setting the bar, right? Do, do, uh, do as I have done to you. Well, of course, we all know Jesus and what he did, and so that's a, that's a challenge, right? That's a big challenge to us as if we try to walk in his steps because we realize, what did Jesus do? He gave up all his material possessions. He gave, all up his, gave up his leisure time to preach the word and help people. And then not only that, 
He, in the end, he died a horrific death on a cross for our sins. We were reminded that verse says, no man, no man has a greater love than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said, by this you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So really, right, so forget about all that rule following. Uh, it's about loving God and loving others. So the question I want to pose to us today is what does love require of us? What does love require of us? Um, and as I was thinking about these things, um, I reflected on the fact that, you know, a lot of times, and, and I've done this myself and, and a lot of people who come and speak here at the pulpit, you know, a lot of times we, we like to challenge people. I won't, okay, I won't say hit people over the head, but challenge people to, you know, go home and read your Bible and, and, and go home and, and, and pray and, and go home and, and, you know, and make sure you're in church. And those are, believe me, those are all important things. Don't get me wrong. But how many times do we ever say, Go out and love somebody today. Go out and love somebody tomorrow. Go out and love somebody this week, right? So just a challenge there, kind of a, a different mindset that we should be challenging one another and thinking about that more. What does love require of us? Again, it's what Jesus' new commandment was to his disciples. Okay, so as I posed the question before, what do we do with the Old Testament, Right? It's the Old Testament that was for the Jews in Old Testament times, and really not for us today, as we've talked about. See, in the Old Testament, they live by the set of rules. So we have to, so what do we do with that Old Testament? We don't want that Old Testament thinking to creep into our lives today. And one way that can, do, that can happen is by, uh, we can fall into that mindset and that way of thinking that to just live by a set of rules, right? If we live by a set of rules, we feel that we're good, we're okay. So if we, if we read our Bible and we attend church and we tithe, we, think, we say to ourselves, well, I'm a good Christian. And, but it's true, people who do that can be good Christians and those are things that good Christians do. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're a good Christian if you do all those things, right? Because the Bible, what does the Bible say in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that if we, have, if we don't have love, and I'll summarize it quickly, if we don't have love, we are nothing, right? Uh, if we don't help people in need, the Bible talks about, you know, looking at someone who has a need and turning your heart away from them. How could you, you know, how could you do that, right? As a Christian, that's not very loving. We need to bear one another's burdens, right? So there's more to being a Christian than just knowing our Bibles and attending meetings and tithing. It's also about love. So don't get caught in that Old Testament way of thinking. If, hey, if I follow a set of rules, I do these things, I'm good. And not to say that all those things are bad. I'm not saying that. So please don't get me wrong, right? We should, as Christians, because we want to love God and love others, we should read our Bibles, right? Because we want to know God. We want to fellowship with God. We want to be filled with the Spirit so that God will uh, use us. We want to know the Bible so that when somebody, you know, comes to, you know, like, like John had, had an opportunity, he was sharing with us, in the first meeting, that he had a chance to uh, witness to somebody today, who, uh, this week, who was a Jehovah's Witness. And John was able to talk about some of the doctrines that they're confused about, like about who Jesus is. So, you know, John, being a, a knowledgeable person, a person who was knowledgeable about the Bible, was able to explain that to them and help and to that person and help them to be, become saved. And that person did receive Christ as Savior. So, so, we do, so if we want to be loving, we do need to know our Bibles too so that we can help other people. Right? So, 
Okay, so what about, going on with our thinking here, what about the actual pages of the Bible, right? We have this book here, and we refer to this section in front of Matthew. I don't have it exactly, but close enough, as the Old Testament, right? So what do we do with that? Well, we should read it and understand it. As I said, it's God's word. Uh, It gives us a, a lot of good information about the creation of the world and creating everything that's in it, a history of the Jewish nation, the prophecies about the coming Messiah, and some of the prophecies are not yet fulfilled, right? There's still prophecies in the Old Testament that are future. Um, so we can read about those and learn about what, what God is doing in the future. And it's always an interesting study, and I'm sure many of you have done this. You've read the book of Daniel, and kind of in conjunction, you've read the book of the Revelation, and you've gone, you know, compared the two, and there's a lot of similarities there about what God's going to do in the future. It's very exciting. So, so the, the Old Testament has a lot of prophecies, and then we have the Psalms, uh, which gives us a treasure of, of poetry and worship and how to relate to God in, in times of sorrow and need and despair and things like that. We have the wisdom of, of Proverbs. And then the New Test- and in the New Testament, it also teaches us the Holy Spirit teaches us uh, through Paul in 1 Corinthians. Paul teaches us that um, the things that happened in the Old Testament were an example for us to learn from. Right? So when we read about the characters of the Old Testament, you know, sometimes we have a study on the life of Abraham or, 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 or life of Joseph or, or life of Moses. So we can read about them and learn from what they've done wrong and what, they've, what they did right, and we can apply those lessons to our, to our own life, right? And I, and I know from my past studying and, and preparing for messages, when I've been preaching on, say, the life of Joseph or whatever, like I just mentioned, all, every time when I'm studying and preparing, God will, oh, the Holy Spirit will always bring a New Testament verse or two or three or maybe even more in, into mind that apply to that situation. So really, the New Testament brings to life the Old, I'm sorry, the Old Testament brings to life the New Testament principles, right? And I'm sure you've also experienced that as well. Excuse me. See, this also tells me what time it is, because so, I can't see that so well. So I know I have at least two more minutes, and plus Dwayne took some of my time, I think. <laughs> That's all right. Um, we're very happy to have you here today, Dwayne. Cousin Dwayne. Cousin Dwayne, yeah. I don't know, my, my part of the gang? No, okay, good, good. Um, even though I can't play a banjo or anything. Um, okay, so, so anyway, we should realize, even though we, we just talked about the Old Testament and that's God's word and we should read it and all that, but we should realize that the, the agreement between him and the, Jew, the God and the Jews, that's not our testament, that's not our agreement, right? Uh, that agreement is obsolete. And, and, and a lot of what goes with that, right? So we know, we don't, build a temple, right? We're not concerned about having a temple and a tabernacle and offering animal sacrifices. We know that that part we shouldn't follow and there's a lot of rules and, and, and stuff and we don't even worry about following you know, all the dietary laws and how to dress and how to cut our hair or not cut our hair or whatever. You know, we, don't, we don't worry about those things because it's quite obvious to us that we shouldn't follow those things. But there are, there are some not-so-obvious things that sometimes creep into our thinking, and I did give an example of that, right? Just a kind of a lifestyle of, of, of being a rule follower versus a, a loving Christian. Uh, but I just want to talk about one example that comes to mind. Actually, two, so that'll, and that'll be it. 
But the first example is tithing, right? Tithing is an Old Testament teaching. It's giving 10% of what, you, of what you receive to God back as an offering. So we know in the Old Testament, I think it's in the book, it's in the book of Malachi, uh, there's a verse there that says, <clears throat> God, uh, God will open the, if we tithe, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings and that we won't even have enough room to receive it all, right? So first of all, I want to ask you, has anyone, has that happened to anyone here where they've tithed? And I know, I'm sure, I don't know because people don't talk about it, but I bet you there's a lot of people in here that tithe and that's fine. Um, but have you tithed and then received so much back from the Lord that you couldn't actually have enough room for it in your house or your bank account? <laughs> no, probably, anybody? Okay, you guys. All right, we'll talk to you later. Um, so anyway, I haven't seen any, bar any barns overflowing yet. But uh, Now, the New Testament teaches, the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit teaches us to give generously, to give as the Lord has prospered, and that it's better to give to, to receive, right? That we should not give grudgingly um, or of necessity, but... God loves a cheerful giver, right? So we, he doesn't give us that rule of 10%, but he gives us these principles to live by that we should have, give, give, that we should give as God has purpose in our heart, right? So now I know that um, some of the thinking that creeps in is that, well, we, you know, we have to give 10%, and that's kind of a legalistic system, right? So what are some of the questions that people talk about? Well, I, over the years, I've heard people say, well, should you tithe your gross revenue, your gross paycheck, or your net paycheck? Should you, should you tithe your fringe benefits, right? If you have health insurance and life insurance and dental insurance, should you calculate the, uh, the value of that and then tithe 10% of that? Or should you only tithe it when you actually receive the benefit? So you get into all these questions that I don't think God really is concerned about, right? Uh, that's not what the New Testament teaches. The New Testament teaches, as I said, to give as, as God has... Uh, you know, given to us and to, to give, to be a cheerful giver, right? And to just, you decide how much to give. And by the way, 10% not a bad uh, barometer. You can give more than that if you want to. That's a good thing. Um, and then you also hear people say, well, you can't, out, you can't outgive God, right? That's sometimes a, a saying that you hear people say as far as when you're thinking about how much you should give. Well, you can't outgive God. But see, I have a problem with that because that, that the whole basis of that is that, well, if I give to God, then uh, he's going to give me all that back and more because I can't outgive him, so he's going to give me back more financially than what I gave to him. So remember, this is kind of an Old Testament-based teaching, and it kind of has creeped into our thinking sometimes, and I think we should be careful about that. I know when I was first a Christian, somebody told me a story that related to tithing and giving, and they said, well, this one person wasn't tithing, and it wasn't giving to the Lord. And um, one day, it was a family, and one time they went on vacation, and um, one of the children had left the sink plugged up and turned the water on, you know, just not on purpose, but accidentally. And so when they came home from vac vacation, their house was flooded. So, see, that's the kind of bad things that happen to you if, if, you, if, you, if you don't tithe. Now, 
Not to say that God doesn't discipline us, right? There is a part of the Bible where the Bible, the Holy Spirit teaches us in the book of Hebrews that God does discipline us sometimes when we do the wrong thing. But again, it goes back to the motivation, right? It goes back to the motivation. If I'm thinking, well, I got to, you know, write this check or give this money every week because if I don't, something bad's going to happen to me, right? That's not the attitude we should have. We should want to give, be a cheerful giver, not give grudgingly because we want to help, because we want to be part of God's work on the earth. And one way we can do that is by giving of our resources, whether it's helping missionaries in the foreign field or full-time workers here in the U.S. or just helping out with the expenses around here. We, you know, we talked about an offering today to help, help our brothers and sisters in the Bahamas. I mean, those are things we should want to do out of love, right? Not out of a fear of being cursed, okay? So... Now, another thing, too, and just the last one here, um, please don't go back and use some obscure Old Testament verse to support a, a view that you might have, right? So where, where I think about this specifically is, you know, I'm not a fan of tattoos. Don't get me wrong. I don't have any. <laughs> not, not a fan of them, but people do have them today. It's becoming more and more popular. But... Don't go back into, into the Old Testament and, and there's a verse in there, a passage about you know, not marking up your body. Don't use that to apply to that t- today. I, don't, I would not agree to that. And the reason is, is, well, if you say that to, say it's your, your young adult child, right? If you say you can't get a tattoo because God says here in the Old Testament you shouldn't mark up your body. Well, that person's going to say, well, what about all that? You know, your child's going to say, what about all those other rules that we don't follow, right? We don't worry about eating pork and, and you know, we don't worry about growing our sideburns uh, and that kind of thing, or, or we don't worry about cutting our sideburns because the Bible says that we shouldn't cut our sideburns. You know, there's all those kind of rules that we're not following, so don't cherry pick a rule and try to apply it to today because what's going to happen is you're going to confuse that you're, you're the person you're trying to teach, and they're going to get confused about the, the, the purpose of the Old Testament. Now, if you have some other reasons you don't like tattoos and you want to teach from the New Testament, that's fine. Don't, don't, get, don't get me wrong, but um, there's a lot of rules in the Old Testament that we don't follow, so don't, don't cherry-pick those. And there's other things. We can, we can talk about them more later, I'm sure. I'm sure there'll be some debate about this message at some point <laughs> with others, so let's pray. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our time in your word, and we pray that, um, you know, we just thank you, Lord, that we live under the new covenant, the new agreement with, with Jesus that's in his blood, and that uh, we've been forgiven. If we receive Christ as Savior, we can be forgiven and live for him and know what it means to, to love people with a pure heart from the given to us by the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.